Acts 21, starting in verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nassan of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in and with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done according to the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who were among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and blood and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. Well, thank you for reading for us, Andy. Uh, Please do keep that scripture passage open. Uh, We're going to be diving in there, and uh, you can find some space if you want to take notes. They're on page four um, in the bulletin. But let's uh, turn to God and ask for his help as we consider his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, so much for uh, for these words 
Um, Lord, thank you that they're breathed out uh, by your Spirit, and thank you that you've given them for our good, for our instruction to build us up. And so we pray now that you would uh, equip us and train us and prepare us for righteousness, equip us to serve you, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Recently, I've noticed a common theme in a number of conversations that I've had with many of you. Uh, So many of us, it seems, are facing uh, challenging family situations. And now there is no surprise there. Families are challenging, uh, as you will know, if you have one. Uh, And yet what I have in mind are are challenging situations involving extended family in particular. Uh, The challenge comes in dealing with family members who do not follow Jesus Christ, uh, or at least with those who perhaps profess faith in Christ, but who view that faith very, very differently from you. It could be an uncle, it could be an aunt, it could be a grown-up brother or sister, or perhaps grown-up children. Maybe your parents present you a challenge in this way. Kids, it could be that you have an older brother or sister, or perhaps cousins who who come to visit and you love to hang out with them, and yet you know that there is something different, that some, some tension there when they're over. Now, it is a big theme in the Bible that God works in and through families. And yet it's also a theme that families can be a huge source of conflict for Christian believers. On the one hand, you have your earthly family. You didn't choose them, but you share a common DNA with them. And you also belong to God's family in one sense. You didn't choose them. God chose you and brought you into that family. And yet with them, you're connected with with them in an even deeper way. Uh, And there are, for most of us, varying degrees of overlap between those two families. Uh, But where there isn't overlap, we often feel a tension. Uh, And if you've experienced that tension at all, then in some ways this series in the book book of Acts uh, should be particularly helpful to you in your situation. Uh, Now, in case you've joined us since we've started, I've compared this uh, this series um, uh, to a road trip. The book of Acts, in many ways, is like a road trip. It is a travelogue of the gospel. It it details the expansion of the gospel, the good news of Christ, as it heads from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then out into the ends of the earth. Uh, In other words, it is about God growing his family. Uh, And as God's family grows, we find that, surprise, surprise, conflict ensues. And we see that especially in chapters 19 through 28, the closing section of the book. Uh, In these chapters, the gospel hits some rough terrain. And so if you excuse the pun, uh, I've said that these chapters provide us with a crash course in defensive driving. Uh, They teach us how to deal with the bumpy road of of loving our friends, our families, and our neighbors. Uh, I mean, think about what we've seen already so far in this series and and consider how it applies to your family situation. Uh, What was the first defensive driving tip that we saw? Uh, Well, it was this, be confident in the goodness of the gospel. Be confident in the goodness of the gospel. Uh, Remember that riot that we saw in the city of Ephesus? Uh, The challenge there was this, that Christianity seemed to be bad for business. Uh, And maybe you have family members who think that way today, uh, who believe that Christianity isn't just boring or irrelevant or untrue, but in fact, Christianity is dangerous. It is a threat to our society. It is a threat to progress. Uh, And if so, then then what are we to do? Uh, Well, the first thing we need to be clear is this. We have to be clear in our own minds that that just is not true. Uh, What we saw in Ephesus is that the gospel is not a threat to social order. No, in fact, what we saw is this. It's those who who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ who truly threaten human flourishing. 
and so be confident in the goodness of the gospel. As you connect with family over the summer, uh, remember what you believe is indeed good news. Uh, But secondly, in the first part of Acts 20, we learned another important lesson. Uh, Here was the second lesson. Never drive alone. Never drive alone. As we face challenges with our earthly families, we need the support of our spiritual family, the church. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be asking for prayer when we head out on those awkward family vacations. And in one sense, we need to remember that we are never alone, even when we feel alone, because the Lord Jesus Christ is always with us. In fact, he's in the driver's seat. He's the one who calls the shots. Uh, And once we realize that, that can give us a sense of peace that rather than forcing things with family, we can be uh, asking God to open our eyes to see the ways that he is already at work. And so be confident in the goodness of the gospel. Never drive alone. Uh, But thirdly, uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago, don't forget God's pattern and God's priority. Uh, Don't forget God's pattern and God's priority. Uh, We saw this as Paul had gathered the elders from Ephesus and and began to address them. Uh, Remember, what is the priority? Well, the priority is speaking God's words. Uh, The truth is we can't persuade people with our own cunning, with our own fine arguments. And that is why, as Brian encouraged us last week, uh, we need to be praying for opportunities to speak God's word to people. Uh, We need to be asking God to help us have something encouraging, something helpful to share from the Scriptures. And yet, even as we do that, even as we follow God's priority, there is a pattern as well. We have to bring God's word in God's way. Do you remember what that pattern was? Uh, Paul told us it it involved humility. It involved heartfelt affection. Uh, We need to love people. Uh, And often, we have to say, don't we, the hardest people to love can be members of our own family. It isn't going to be easy, and and that is why we also saw that even as we strive to be humble, as we're heartfelt in our love, we still will face some hostility. And yet, amid all of that, isn't this a help? Uh, Think about what we've seen. Again, be be confident in the goodness of the gospel. Don't drive alone. Get support from your friends in in the church. Uh, Remember God's priority. Remember God's pattern of speaking and serving Uh, This is all important stuff, isn't it, as we we think about our families? And yet, how does our passage help us today? What does it add to that picture? Uh, Well, in Acts chapter 21, we see the Apostle Paul on his way home. Uh, He's going to visit his own Jewish family in the city of Jerusalem. And I think as we see him do that, we learn two things, two more defensive driving tips. Uh, Things that will help us navigate the rough terrain of our own families and, and beyond that, our society as a whole. Uh, Firstly, we need to learn to steer in to necessary conflict. Steer in to necessary conflict. Uh, But secondly, we need to master the art of swerving away from unnecessary conflict. Uh, Steer in to necessary conflict. Swerve away from unnecessary conflict. Uh, Firstly, let's look at that first point. What do I mean, steer in to necessary conflict? Well, really the point is this. As we seek to follow Christ, we just cannot avoid difficult situations, Uh, very often difficult situations with our families. Uh, Because of God's calling on our lives, we will, of necessity, find ourselves in the middle of conflict. Uh, Conflict with our friends, conflict with family members, conflict with colleagues at work, maybe conflict with our wider society. And the temptation at those times will be to withdraw, uh, to steer out of that conflict and find just some way to exist without it. 
Uh, most of us wouldn't make great firefighters. Uh, faced with uh, challenges, we tend to want to run away rather than run into that burning building. Uh, but in some sense, th- this is what should set us apart as Christians. Uh, remember those words of Jesus Christ in the Beatitudes? Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, Christian author and speaker Ken Sande wrote a book uh, with that title, Peacemakers. It's a very good book. I-, I recommend it. In fact, I have recommended it to many of you. Uh, in that book, um, Ken Sandy points out two common tendencies that we have. Uh, rather than being peacemakers, uh, some of us tend to be peace fakers. Some of us tend to be peace breakers. Uh, what is a peace faker? Well, it's somebody who tries to avoid conflict at all costs. And what is a peace breaker? Well, it's someone who sees conflict and says, bring it on. And now you know yourself and your own tendency here. And uh, often I- I've found over the years you find uh, both extremes within one marriage. But the first point here in our our text really is to challenge that first approach. Uh, We can be so tempted to be peace fakers. Rather than pursuing real peace, we just run for the hills whenever we see conflict. I mean, think about your extended family. Have you ever wondered to yourself, wouldn't it be a lot easier if I just never, ever had to see them? Uh, Now, as a caveat, I should say that there are rare times when that would be the right approach. Uh, Maybe you've experienced abuse, emotional, spiritual, physical abuse, and at at those times it's very important to draw appropriate boundaries. Uh, But much of the time that is is not the case, as much as we would like to do that. And certainly the Apostle Paul doesn't believe that is true in his situation. Uh, We see this in Acts 21, especially verses 1 through 14. Uh, Ever since chapter 19, uh, remember, Paul has been resolved to go to the city of Rome, but before he gets there, he takes this pit stop down in Jerusalem. Uh, And what is clear is that Paul does not expect a warm welcome when he gets there. In fact, God reveals this to him in verses 1 through 14. Uh, There are two groups of material in these verses. The first runs 1 through 6, and the second from verses 7 through 14. Uh, But in both of them, there is a common theme. In both, Paul is strongly discouraged from traveling down to Jerusalem. His friends just don't want him to go. I mean, look at verse 4. Look down at Acts 21, verse 4. Paul has traveled from Kos to Rhodes, from Rose to Patera. Uh, He changes boats, eventually lands in Tyre. But uh, while the ship unloads, he seeks out fellowship with other believers. Uh, And look at what that fellowship involves there in verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there seven days. But look at what the disciples in Tyre did. Verse 4, it continues, And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And now through the Spirit, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, Well, it suggests that their words here are guided by prophecy. In a supernatural way, God has given them a sense of what what awaits Paul in Jerusalem, and, and it's nothing good. Uh, And yet we find, even despite this, Paul isn't persuaded. Uh, He gets back in the boat, and he travels from Tyre to Ptolemais. Uh, And then he goes on to Caesarea, getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. He's heading the wrong way, isn't he? And in Caesarea, we meet this uh, godly man again, Philip. Um, He was one of the seven that they chose to serve the widows back in Acts chapter 6. He's also the guy who shared his faith with the Ethiopian eunuch in in Acts chapter 8 and probably shared his faith with many others as well because Luke calls him Philip the Evangelist. It's a great title, isn't it? And since we last saw him, time flies. Since we last met him, uh, we find that uh, Philip now has four grown daughters, all of whom are serving in the church. All of them uh, prophesy, it says in verse 9. 
But the focus shifts to this other prophet, a man named Agabus. I have to say, I really love this guy. I think he's something of the Ezekiel of the New Testament. And if you know the character of uh, Ezekiel in the Old Testament, you'll know that he did some pretty weird things. Uh, God called Ezekiel to often act out his prophecies. In his case, it meant uh, cooking his dinner over human poop, uh, something that uh, even he refused to do at God's bidding. And now Agabus doesn't do anything like that, I'm glad to say, but, but he does give this dramatic portrayal of what awaits Paul in Jerusalem. Uh, look down at verse 11. Uh, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and there, hogtied on the floor, uh, he says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bring the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Uh, and look at verse 12. I think this, this verse makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, when we heard this, we and the people urged Paul not to go. And now imagine yourself in that situation that somebody shared such a prophecy here. You might think the same thing. It makes sense. If going to Jerusalem means Paul's inevitable arrest, surely he should head in the opposite direction. And this is often what we tell ourselves, isn't it? And it might be what uh, loving, well-meaning friends will tell us also. Uh, when we share with our growth group about a particularly challenging situation, perhaps a situation at work or a situation at home, a family member that we should call or visit or something, uh, perhaps a, a difficult conversation we know we need to have. Uh, when we share about that, we don't have a word of prophecy in response, but, but we can see, can't we? Our friends can see that this is going to be terribly difficult. In fact, it's probably going to go horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, we know we don't have prophecy, but we do have the benefits of hindsight. We know how it happened before. And so what do our friends tell us? They, they love us, and so they suggest, look, surely you'd be better off just avoiding that person. Uh, just avoid that situation completely. Uh, but look at what Paul says to all of this. I love this. Verse 13. Paul answered them, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? You see, the truth is, Paul knew this is exactly what God had called him to do. He has to go down to Jerusalem. And when he got there, he already knew that it was going to be incredibly difficult. Uh, listen to what he told the Ephesian elders in chapter 20, uh, verse 22. Uh, and now he said, Behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, uh, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and affliction await me. And so these prophecies in Tyre or in Caesarea only confirm what Paul already knew. And this is why he can continue. Why are you breaking my heart? Why are you discouraging me to go? Verse 13, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And this really is the big point. This is what I mean when I say we need to steer in to necessary suffering. It's like those actual physical defensive driving courses. What do they say? Well, uh, when your car skids or hits ice or something like that, our instinct is to turn away, and yet we should really steer into it instead. Uh, what is Paul doing here? Well, he's steering into conflict, conflict that he knows is necessary, conflict that he knows is inevitable. He's still heading to Jerusalem. Why? Because, because he knows this is what God has called him to do. And in one sense, we can say the same thing, can't we, about our own difficult situations. Uh, what has God called you to do? Well, there are lots of ways we could answer that, but, but surely uh, he's called us to, this, uh, to do this. The sovereign God, uh, who, who organizes and arranges all things, has 
placed you in the family that you belong to. He's called you to be a son or a daughter. He's called you to be a brother or a sister. He's called you to be a mother or a father or a cousin or a nephew or a niece. And part of that call includes the call to love, to love the family that God has given you. Now, what exactly that means for each family member might vary. Children are to honor their parents. Parents are called to love and support their children. Brothers and sisters are called to show mutual care and respect. And as tempting as it might be at times, you just can't remove yourself from from all of those God-given obligations. As I've said, there are times when you have to set up healthy boundaries. That's appropriate. But might we be tempted to do this too fast, perhaps too often? Even without a specific word of prophecy, we know from God's word that we all have different family relationships, different obligations. And pushing it beyond family, we have obligations at work. We can't just ignore our colleagues as much as we want to. Most of us have work that requires us to relate to people. And then, of course, there isn't just home and work. There is the community around us as well. Think about your neighbors. Think about your neighborhood. Don't we have obligations there? Doesn't God call us to love our neighbors? Uh, Aren't we called to be his witnesses in the world? Uh, And yet, at the same time, we might prefer to stay home to ignore those nosy neighbors across the street uh, when, in fact, we're called to love them, uh, to talk to them, to serve them. Uh, I mean, this is a very small thing, isn't it, when we consider uh, and compare it to Paul's trip down to Jerusalem. So why do we avoid these things? Well, I guess, I suppose we could be lazy, but I think this is the reason we avoid them, because we know that engaging in many of these relationships will inevitably lead us into conflict. Uh, We like to avoid conflict. Uh, But sometimes conflict is necessary. Sometimes it's a part of God's calling. Uh, And therefore, this is the point. Like Paul, we need to steer into this. Uh, Paul is unwilling to avoid a difficult situation. Why? Because his priority is to follow the call of the Lord Jesus. And in doing so, we should add, Paul is, is simply following the path of Jesus Christ himself, isn't it? In fact, I think the parallels with Jesus Christ are, are incredibly striking. Uh, who else do you know who journeyed down to Jerusalem expecting suffering when he arrived? Who else predicted these very things that they would arrest him, that the Jews would arrest him, that they would hand him over bound to the Gentiles? Who else had to persuade his followers that this is exactly what God wanted, that this is what God had called him to do? Uh, hopefully you know who I'm, ta- who I'm talking about. This is exactly what we read in the gospel. Gospels. This is exactly what we see Jesus himself doing. You see, I think uh, Luke, the author of Acts, is deliberately drawing a parallel between the Apostle Paul and, and Jesus Christ, not just to set Paul up as some extra special leader, but to set him up as an example, uh, that following Jesus Christ means following in his footsteps, Uh, Jesus doesn't avoid suffering. He doesn't avoid conflict. No, he sets his face like flint to Jerusalem. Why? Because he loved his people. He loved us. He loved me. He loved you. Uh, And so he didn't run away. Uh, No, he ran into that burning building. He was willing to suffer and die for you and for me. And so as we think about the people that that we love, family members, perhaps people we struggle to love, uh, we find that this love will often mean steering into difficult situations. It will mean taking that trip that you don't want to take. It will mean making that call that you don't want to make. It will mean approaching that person you'd rather avoid. It will mean fighting the urge to be peace fakers uh, rather than peacemakers 
uh, perhaps especially in those family situations. Uh, maybe there is a person that you've frozen out or a situation you've been trying to avoid. Uh, and if so, then, then let me encourage you, share that with someone else, a brother or sister, after the service. Uh, ask, ask them to pray for you. Uh, that's often the first step, isn't it, to steering in. Uh, you know you need to act, and so ask them to pray for you. Ask them to support you. Not to discourage you from doing it because it's hard, but, but rather seeking God's help for you. In fact, this is what Paul's friends end up doing, isn't it? In verse 14, we read, And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Again, there are echoes of Jesus Christ here on there. This echoes so much in, of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. And, and this really is the point. When being faithful to our calling means conflict, we need to trust God and steer into it rather than trying to avoid it. Uh, but then in verses 17 through 26, we find something else. Uh, we find another defensive driving tip. And this one, I think, is equally important. In many ways, it, it highlights an equal and opposite danger. And secondly, then, yes, we need to steer into necessary conflict. But secondly, we need to swerve to avoid unnecessary conflict as well. Uh, swerve to avoid unnecessary conflict. That, that is our second point. And here is what I mean by that. Having recognized that we need to dive in to, to take on our own Jerusalem like Paul, we also need to recognize we must do this graciously. As I mentioned, that book, uh, Peacemakers, highlights two extremes. Uh, we can be peace fakers who avoid conflict, but we can also be peace breakers. Uh, we can end up causing conflict simply because of the way that we act and the way that we speak. Uh, this is a real danger, and I think it's a real danger uh, with our families in particular. As I mentioned at the start, many of you struggle with this, particularly in relation with relatives who are not yet Christian believers. It could be older kids or brothers or sisters or parents or an aunt. And on the one hand, you want to share Christ with them in any way that you can. And at the same time, every time you've tried to do that only seems to make things worse rather than better. Often we end up doing and saying the very things that cause unnecessary offense, don't we? This friend or family member has a certain perception uh, of who we are and what we believe, and then uh, that perception might be totally out of whack completely, and yet uh, whenever we're with them, we always seem to say things that confirm their worst suspicions. And again and again, Scripture encourages us to consider this. Uh, we need to be mindful uh, of what we say. We need to be mindful of how we come off to other people. And as much as possible, we need to do everything we can to be welcoming, uh, to be accommodating of unbelievers. We need to love them and accept them as Christ has loved and accepted us. We need to go out of our way, often in costly, sacrificial ways, to prove that we are for them rather than against them. And that is exactly what we see with Paul, isn't it, in verses 15 through 26. After this long journey, Paul finally arrives in the city of Jerusalem. And as he arrives, verse 17 tells us that he meets with a very warm welcome indeed, a very warm welcome from his fellow believers. They organize this meeting with, with James and all of the elders. And at this meeting, Paul recounts everything that has happened on his journeys. It's like he, he reads through the chapters we've looked at in Acts. It's like those, those missionary visits when they give you an update on everything that's happened. In verse 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Uh, basically, everything that we read about in Acts and more, uh, and how did they respond? Well, as they heard it, they glorify God, they praise him, that the gospel has now reached the Gentiles. And yet there is a problem, isn't there? 
Because in Paul's absence, people have been circulating all kinds of rumors about him. Uh, Look at verse 21. Uh, They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our Jewish customs. I know there's a lot going on there, but the rumor is this, that Paul has been encouraging people to break God's law. And there's a broader theological concern here in the book of Acts. But one of the things the book of Acts is eager to show is this, that the message of Christ perfectly fits with everything that came before. There is no disconnect between the New Testament and the Old Testament. There is no wrathful God in the Old Testament and and happy-go-lucky God in the New. Jesus Christ came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but instead he came to gloriously fulfill them. And that includes the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people now coming to faith. And Paul is eager to defend this. In fact, one of the very reasons he's in Jerusalem in the first place is to demonstrate the fundamental unity between Jewish and Gentile converts. But as much as this is theological, in Paul's case, it is also very personal. Uh, Is Paul doing or teaching something that compromises that fact? Well, the rumor is, yes, he is. Instead of simply saying that Gentiles don't have to become Jews to be saved, uh, apparently Paul has been telling the Jews that they need to become Gentiles. And now in one sense, it it was a plausible lie. Uh, Paul did indeed teach that we are saved apart from the law. It doesn't depend on what we do. Our obedience, including circumcision, counts for nothing before God. Uh, But he never argued that Jews can't or shouldn't continue to follow their Jewish customs. Uh, There's more we could say about this, but but now perhaps is not the time. But, But the key here is that this rumor isn't true. Paul isn't doing what they say he is. Instead, what I want you to see is how he reacts to this, uh, uh, to this. Uh, how he reacts to the fact that he is being falsely accused. You see, the elders of the church make this proposal about how he can remedy that fact, and it basically involves helping out these four guys who are under a vow, uh, most likely a, a Nazarite vow that you can read about later in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, what is Paul to do for them? Well, look at verse 24. Uh, Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Uh, thus all will know that there is nothing in what has been told about you. Uh, now the details here aren't totally clear, but, but, but essentially the point is this. Uh, Paul is being asked to publicly show support for following the law. Uh, In in that case, publicly demonstrating that that there is no truth to any of these rumors about him. And it's going to be costly for Paul as well. Uh, Paul has got to go to the temple and purify himself. More than that, he's got to pay these guys' bills. It's going to involve a lot of grace, a lot of humility on Paul's part. I mean, Paul is not the one in the wrong, is he? It is the people who've been spreading all these false reports about him. I mean, his instinct must have been to defend himself, mustn't it? And yet in verse 26, we see Paul does exactly what they suggest. He took the men and the next day purified himself along with them and went to the temple. And in doing this, uh, he demonstrated the point that I'm trying to make. He went to Jerusalem, yes, he steered into the necessary conflict that he would face when he got there. Uh, But get this, uh, while he was there, he did whatever it took to maintain peace and to avoid unnecessary headaches. And this is what I mean when I say that we're meant to swerve. As we hit difficult terrain uh, with our friends and our family, uh, like Paul, like these elders, we have to anticipate potential challenges that we might face. 
Uh, and so we need to take potential practical steps, don't we? We have to take practical steps. Uh, we have to take steps to avoid unnecessary conflict. Uh, for example, parents with older children. I know this can be very hard for you, especially when your unbelieving kids come home to visit. It can often feel like a minefield, can't it? You aren't sure what to say or what not to say that might somehow offend them in the process. And yet this is the point. Do whatever it takes to avoid causing offense. Do whatever you can to dispel whatever rumors they may have entertained about Christian believers. And the same is true with a brother or a sister or a friend or a colleague at work. Sure, steer into engaging with them. Don't avoid them simply because it might bring conflict, but but at the same time, do whatever you can as you seek to share Christ, to do so in a way that is winsome, that is kind, that is, uh, that is as generous as possible. What does this mean? Well, it, it might mean avoiding certain topics of conversation. Now, what else might it mean? Well, it, it might mean doing practical things to accommodate their diet or the, their living situation. Maybe when they come to visit, the whole family has to decide to go vegan or something. Maybe it means taking a trip to visit them on their turf rather than having them visit you. Maybe it means finding creative ways to show them your love and support, even when you don't approve of their choices. Do whatever you can to show love and support. Go as far as you possibly can without compromising your conscience or your convictions. It might not be well received, but that is not the point. Be at peace with all, says the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. Be at peace with all so long as it depends on you. Be as sensitive as you possibly can. Swerve as much as you can to avoid unnecessary conflict. We have to say this takes an enormous amount of wisdom, doesn't it? We always need help. Even in figuring out whether something is necessary conflict or unnecessary conflict, we often don't know, don't we? This is the rough terrain. This is why we need our brothers and sisters, isn't it? And don't drive alone. Remember that point? Seek the support of your brothers and sisters. Ask them to pray for you, to pray with you. Ask them for ideas. When you're tempted to run for the hills, ask them to pray that God will help you to steer into necessary conflict. And ask them to pray for wisdom as you do that, to know how to swerve away from unnecessary conflict. Uh, together, pray for the grace of God to follow Christ, Christ who came to suffer for us, not to pick a fight with us, but rather so that we could be his family, his spiritual brothers and sisters. Our family can be such a blessing, can't it? And yet family can also be very, very hard. But can you see how God, through his word, actually helps us navigate the challenges that we face? We often face rough terrain when we seek to share Christ with our family, with our friends, with our colleagues, with our neighbors. But in his word, God gives us these uh, defensive driving tips, this training that we need uh, to navigate every circumstance. And so may God give us grace to follow this training when the time comes, to steer in where we need to steer in, uh, to swerve away uh, where we need to swerve away, now, all the time seeking to follow and glorify our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Uh, so much for these words. Um, Lord, thank you for uh, the fact that the Apostle Paul followed uh, your way, Lord Jesus, and has therefore set an example for us to follow uh, in his place. Uh, Lord, many of us are faced with challenges and will be over the summer uh, when it comes to relating to, uh, to family members and, and friends and, and others who don't yet know Jesus. 
And so we pray that you would help us by your spirit. Give us grace so that we might point them to Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, help us to steer in where necessary. Help us to, uh, uh, to, to dive into situations that might fill us with dread. And yet at the same time, help us to do so so graciously, so kindly, reflecting the love of Jesus. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.